Listener Production. I acknowledge the land and waters of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I pay my respects to their ancestors past and elders present. I acknowledge that the First Nations across the continent have never ceded sovereignty and that the First Nations are the first lawmakers. Welcome, this is Black Matters, a podcast that is about First Nations matters and why they matter. I'm Teela Reid, First Nations advocate, senior lawyer, and proud Wiradjuri and Wailwan woman. And I'm joined by my longtime friend, MC from the Hit Radio Network. Hey! If this is your first time joining us on Black Matters and you're wondering who I am and why we spell it B-L-A-K, go back and check out our previous episodes. Now... What a week for this country. Uh, In just a few days, Australia finally votes in this referendum, this moment that we have been building up towards, that has been spoken about. It's it's literally almost here. Today on the podcast is a man that I've been looking forward to having on this podcast for weeks and weeks and weeks. That man is Stan Grant. He continues to be a key orator in the story of this nation, uh, a prominent journalist, proud First Nations Wiradjuri man, and previous host of ABC's Q&A current affairs panel show. Now, that position on Q&A, we've spoken about it on the podcast. You left that earlier this year uh, after a bunch of online harassment and racial abuse. You can listen to that podcast as well. Just go through the Black Matters catalogue. Now, the reason why I've been looking forward to having you on this podcast, um, as someone approaching 20 years in the media industry myself, part of the machine, I've witnessed firsthand, and it's something that happens time and time again, that it's an industry that's far too often driven by agenda, by politics, by chasing that sexy headline and the pursuit of website clicks instead of just telling the story and most importantly, telling the truth. Now, you have someone that's always bucked that trend uh, from day one, perhaps even at times to your detriment, have always stayed true to yourself, reported and spoken with honesty. And you're the only guest on this podcast that's made me cry twice. Oh, okay. <laughs> twice. Uh, the first, the speech that you gave on Q&A where you addressed what had been going on and it just, it struck me. Uh, the hatred, the abuse, the aggression, the racism that greeted you, you met mm. with nothing but love, with dignity and compassion. Second time you made me cry was this morning. I was walking my six-week-old child. hmm and I was listening to the speech that you gave on Friday at ah. Charles Darwin University. Where you, and we're going to talk about this yeah. later in the podcast, where you talk about time, mm. the way we view time, unpacking truth, and I guess this moment in time. And, and you said something at the end of the speech, and this is what you said. When I look into the eyes of my parents and see the quiet dignity and love of their struggle. I ask myself, how many times can we say no to these people? Don't break our hearts, Australia. Don't break our hearts. And it was in that moment I looked down at my daughter and I thought to myself, what future Mm. are we leaving her? And that's a future that potentially could change this weekend. So in our final episode before the vote on The Voice, I'm not making any promises I'm going to try not to cry on the podcast okay. <laughs> today, but who knows? Stan Grant joins us in the studio. Thank you very much. And thank you so much for taking out Yeah, the time. It's, it's, it's a real pleasure. I'm glad I made you cry because I think that's the importance of our ability to connect and mm. communicate. And I think one of the things that I really lament, and I think it's probably a consequence of 
changes to technology, the highly adrenalized 24-7 news space, the politicization of everything, the vertical nature of power, uh, the loss of, of community, is that we've lost intimacy. And I think the intimate voice, the quiet voice in a democracy is the most powerful voice. And we've sacrificed intimacy for noise to our detriment. And one of the things that I've always sought to do as a journalist is to bring an intimate voice to what I do. It's the fragility of lives. And to lose intimacy risks our humanity. So I, I always try to find an intimate connection that isn't drowned out by the incessant noise of politics. You've spent some time out of the country recently and you've only been back for a number of days. So firstly, how is it to be back mm. and how are you doing at the moment? Yeah, look, it was I was overseas working in Denmark for this um, institute that I've joined, the Constructive Institute, which is uh, a joint venture with the Constructive Institute in Denmark and Monash University here in Australia to try to improve the public, the quality of public discourse and improve media that I think, you know, to go to your comments earlier about the media, I think has really lost its way and I think it's failing to serve us. And we know that because people are turning off and news avoidance is at an all-time high. The level of fear and anxiety in our societies is, is going through the roof. And in that space of sort of uncertainty, people are looking for new ways to engage. And this institute is dedicated to trying to find new ways of, of opening up a space for constructive public discourse. So I was over there doing that, traveled around a lot in Europe because I had to go to several conferences and took some time to travel around as well, which is always, um, travel's always good. And, and it allows you the space to think again mm. and to look back at your own country. So I was watching a lot of what was playing out here from there, which gives a different perspective because you're sitting in Europe where the weight of history is so heavy and a Europe that knows what happens when things fall apart with catastrophic war, not just the two world wars of the 20th century, but the centuries of wars that came before that, the, the wars of religion for a hundred years that killed half the population of Europe. So they know what happens when things fall apart to live with the weight of that history, to walk through the streets of Germany, where still, when you talk about the Holocaust, people's voice lowers. There are some things in history that can't rise above a whisper because they are so hard to confront. And then looking back at our country and hearing the noise of the debate around the referendum that has been anything but constructive and anything but respectful to our history where the assumption of the right to speak, the assumption that people can make judgment or comment about our lives as Aboriginal people, and that we have to endure that because of our position of powerlessness in the country as we campaign for this particular referendum, is really stark to me, to look back at that in Europe with the weight of history in Europe and the way that Europe struggles to deal with those things itself. And in your um, Charles Darwin lecture last week that you gave back on Larrakia Country, mm. you spoke about this kind of almost collision of timelines yeah. we are living on. 
this Western notion of linear time yeah. and this circular notion of time that we find ourselves in as First Nations peoples, as the oldest mm. continuous cultures on yeah. the planet. You've been such a powerful voice, I think, for our young and old people to try and make sense of all of this. That, that, that's what I'd like to do. You know, make, making sense is the key for me, to be able to join different things, to think outside of my own realm, connect what happens to us, to people in other parts of the world, to take a big historical view and a deep philosophical view of these things, because we are all connected. And I suppose the position uh, that I've most embraced in my life has been a position of exile. You know, I lived outside of Australia for 20 years almost. And exile for me is not running away from or escaping, it's going towards something. I felt in exile I was going towards the truth. I was going towards humanity. We're all exiles in one way or another. I like exile because it gives you a perspective and, and I like to be able to connect the dots. And when I came to give the, the Charles Darwin lecture, the Vincent Lingiari lecture, I wanted to choose a topic that was big enough for me to be able to explore the dimensions of that cast fresh light on the circumstances we're in now. And time was an obvious one because time is the big question. This is the big question. It's like next to does God exist, which, in, which itself is part of time. You know, if you read Stephen Hawking's A Brief History of Time, people think it's about mathematics. It's not. It's about God. He's talking all the time about what is it in the universe? What is it to be alive? Why us? This mathematical improbability that created life here at this time. And what is the nature of time itself? And how do we tell the story of time? And I think in a Western sense, the linear progress of time, the idea of industrial time, the idea of historicized time comes at the expense of people like us who come from another experience of time, a timelessness and also a time out of time, a time out of joint, as Shakespeare said in Hamlet. Time is out of joint, you know, we have to somehow put that right. Trauma time, mm-hmm. the idea that time stops and trauma is the end of time. Time stops and you are forever circling the point of trauma. And how does that sit next to a nation state that wants all of us to move on, get over it, put it in the past, mm-hmm. time heals all wounds? We know all of those platitudes, but that's not the reality for people who've experienced the trauma of time. So time was a way of, of opening up and to do exactly what you said, Teela, to find the connective tissue between these different ideas. You came back and one of your quotes directly from the lecture was feeling like we are all buried in a blizzard of noise. And lies. And yeah. lies. And lies. And we are. You know, I think the noise around this referendum has come at the expense of our ability to speak to each other. You can't be heard when people are yelling. Mm. Like we're in a stadium and everyone's yelling and you can't be heard above the din. And that's probably a consequence of of the nature of 24-7 news as well. It doesn't stop and the noise increases and to be heard above the noise, you have to shout even louder. 
and it doesn't allow the intimate conversations, as I was saying before, to be able to take place. Democracy is not something that we do in a ballot booth. You don't go in and tick a box. You don't go in and vote. That's not democracy. That's our duty. Democracy is what we do when we smile at someone in the street. Democracy is please and thank you. Democracy is can I help you? I open the door for you. Democracy is what we do when we sit in football stands, when we go to barbecues, when we're at the beach, when we meet each other in the schoolyard. That's democracy. Democracy starts before we vote. The intimate conversations. We can't have those conversations when democracy is reduced to a shouting match and lies speak louder than truth. And one of the things we've seen in in recent times, and again, a consequence of... Um, of 24-7 news that I've been a part of as someone who's worked in it. It's, it's been the biggest shift in news in, in my lifetime, the, the ability to broadcast from anywhere at all times in real time. And one of the things that gets lost is that you don't stop to check. The lie travels so fast. You know, the old line that a lie travels around the world while truth is getting its pants on. And lies are devastating in political campaigns. Mm. And we've heard the lies here, the mistruths, we know. We know they're mistruths. We know they're lies. And yet they have drowned out the truth. And it's so hard to speak truth back to a lie because the moment you do, you're validating the lie. That's the that's the paradox yeah. of this, the catch-22. So uh, it was really interesting to look back and observe that. The other thing that you find when you're overseas is you you have to constantly, you're almost an ambassador for your own country. Mm-hmm. You have to explain your country to other people. And, and you know, it really saddened me that the word that I kept coming back to was mean. And I think we have become an increasingly mean country. I think there's an absence of kindness in our country. You hear it in things like, if you don't know, vote no. That's a mean thing to say. I mean, if I see a person crying by the side of the road, I don't need to know what happened to them. I don't even have to know what I can do to fix it. But I do have to show compassion. Mm. To walk over and put your arms around someone in distress is enough. An act of kindness is enough. I think we've lost kindness in our democracy and we've become an increasingly mean society. And that's as a result of a whole lot of things, a whole lot of economic changes, a whole lot of greed and individualism and the erosion of community and the importing of a lot of the the worst of Americanization to our society, the loss of Mm. communities, the loss of that intimacy, but to see meanness. And that's not a good thing to see in your own country. But I kept coming, that was the word I kept coming back to. We I mean, mm. I had um, a friend come out from America recently. We both studied at Harvard together and reflecting on the Americanization of the tactics we're mm. seeing here, the Trump effect in, I guess, yes. Australian politics. But also I've spoken to a number of people around the world, including journalists who are reaching out now about this conversation and this moment. And there seems to be such a disconnect between the way Australians view themselves and their relationship and connection to Mm. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as opposed to the world going, haven't you guys already done this? Like how do we make sense of this disconnect between who we are within this continent Mm. 
and how we are relational mm. to the rest of the world. It, it, it is, again, it's, it's something that asks us to look a bit more deeply at what it means to be Australian. Australia is a penal colony and that, that's embedded mm. in who we are. We're a country that for much of its history had a white Australia policy. The very first policy passed, the very first law passed by the new parliament after Federation was the Immigration Act. It was to restrict immigration to only white people. And, you know, these things become part of the psyche of a country. You add that to, you know, to William Stanner's great Australian silence, the fact that we as Aboriginal people were excluded and segregated. They Australians never got to meet us. Uh, and I think, again, that the intimacy that's missing because you don't know each other. And all of that contributes, I think, to a situation that we find ourselves in now where we approach something like a referendum mm. and there's no glue. You know, we have, we have the silence of history we have a legacy of colonisation, the, the legalised whiteness and the lack of intimacy, of not knowing each other. And all of those things contribute to this. And I suppose the paradox as well is for many people outside of Australia is that Australia is in other respects an extraordinary experiment. You know, to be multicultural, to be a pluralist society, a democratic society, a prosperous society, a peaceful society. Things don't happen by accident. The level of our democratic stability, um, the accountability of our parliament, we're a better democracy in many ways than most of the others in the world, many of the others that I've reported on. And that's a paradox for people because they can't rationalise the success of Australia on the one hand and the, the failure on the other when it comes to our people as Aboriginal people. So this paradox, all nations are a paradox. America is a country dedicated to the equality of all people that came out of genocide and slavery. France is a country, you know, dedicated to um, egalite, fraternite, you know, the ideas that that libertate, the ideas of liberty and egalitarianism and, and, and fraternity. And yet it's a country that struggles to hold all of its difference together now. All countries have this, and this is our paradox, the paradox of the fair-go country that can't extend a fair-go to the the most impoverished. This conversation with Stan Grant is a little longer than what we usually record for Black Matters, but it's an important conversation to be having right now. And we just, we don't want to leave any of it out. So we're going to leave it here for the moment and join us again for part two We'll pick this up again on our conversation with Stan Grant.